Welcome back to the Money Focus Podcast. I'm your host, Moses the Mentor. In this episode, I'm joined by Davis Mendez. He's the innovative force behind Sunbelt Homes and his expertise in identifying high-quality real estate investment opportunities and at the same time leveraging cutting-edge technologies has made Sunbelt Homes a premier destination for investors. So I'm excited to walk through his journey and explore how Sunbelt Homes is shaping the future of real estate investing. So let's get started. All right, Davis, appreciate you uh, joining the show. And what I always like to do when we start the show is to give my my guests the floor to talk a little bit about the career journey and ultimately how they started their business. So the floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, my story, you know, it goes back back to, you know, six, seven years ago, um, you know, in college, kind of just getting my feet under me looking for, you know, really ways to make money. I'm, you know, through... My entrepreneurial journey, I had a lot of experiences, you know, starting, you know, smaller businesses and just kind of hustles throughout high school and going into college to make money. Um, you know, and I got started in real estate going into my, my sophomore year of college looking for, you know, a new avenue of, you know, kind of just create my own schedule, work around classes and things like that. My mom actually suggested that I go and get my real estate license, right? So that was my first intro into real estate. Right around that time, I was like, okay, you know, while I'm getting my license, I want to go work for a real estate company and kind of just make sure it's what I wanted to do. So I started working for, you know, just a small local bro- uh, local broker in Athens, Georgia, really just kind of doing his ISA work, doing cold calls for him, calling for sell-by owners, trying to set up listing appointments for him. And I actually scaled out a team around that that kind of that that lead generation model, right? So we ended up hiring three more people. I oversaw that team. He really liked it. And, you know, during that time, I actually read the the famous book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? The, the book that everybody had read. And I had known I wanted to get into the investment side of real estate already. But reading that and kind of hearing how um, there's a part in that book where he talked about finding a multifamily deal and not having any cash to buy the deal and actually finding an investor to pick up the deal and kind of basically wholesaling it, right? He basically talked about wholesaling that multifamily property. And I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a broke college student. I was making like 1200 bucks a month working for this broker doing this. I was like, I want to I do that. You know, I, I want to figure out how I can find deals and help other investors invest into them, right? Talked to my broker about it a little bit, you know, and he was like, man, I don't, I don't understand that. I'm just doing, you know, my normal broker stuff. He's doing a little new construction too, selling new construction for a builder. You know, he just wasn't a good resource. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I guess I'm going to have to learn it on my own, right? And so I learned, you know, kind of like, you know, how to flip houses, how to find deals, how to find leads and, you know, people who may be in distress and you could find a really good deal. And at the same time, I was still working for them. So around this, uh, about the same, it was like a, a two week period, right? Where I had found a piece of land through calling to actually tax delinquent properties, right? People who were not paying their property taxes. I found a guy who owed about 1800 bucks on property taxes on a piece of land that you could not build. You could not do anything with the land. And he agreed. He said, you know, if you take care of those property taxes, and you give me 500 bucks on top of it, I will quit claim that property over to you and, the, and handle the property tax. You give me 500 bucks, I'll quit claim it to you. You take care of the property taxes. So I said, hmm, okay. The land wasn't usable. 
had gas lines on the property. It wasn't zoned. It was community land. You couldn't build a house on it, but it was on a main road, right? A main traveled road, double yellow line. It had a lot of, lot of traffic. So I said, okay. I had about 1500 bucks to my name. I gave him the 500 bucks to quit claim it over to me. And I spent $200 on a big banner that said, we buy houses, right? And this was like, I was like 19. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what would come of it. I was just like, I just want to get exposure. I want people to call me, right? Put my own cell phone number on there on the banner, put it out there. And I waited. So two days later, and this was like four or five months of trying to get a deal, right? Trying to find a deal. Okay. So four or five, six months in, I get this piece of land. I put the banner up. And two days later, a guy calls me, tells me about these two houses that he has. One's completely vacant, ran down, empty. The other one has tenants in there. He's rented it out per bedroom. None of the tenants are paying anymore. He's completely lost control of the the property. So I went in there, didn't know what to offer him, didn't know what type of numbers I would be running. But I was like, look, man, I, I think, you know, if I could get, you know, get both houses at 40K a pop, I think I could do something with it, Right. And so that's what I did. I put it under contract. And um, two days later, I ended up meeting a guy locally who um, was an investor. Uh, One of the brokers at that brokerage put me in touch with him. He had flipped houses prior, put me in touch with him. And he put me in touch with a buyer who came in. I assigned the properties to him. He made me an offer. We closed seven days later. I ended up making about $25,000. I I do not come from a silver spoon background. Like that was the most money I had ever seen in my entire life. Like I'm pretty sure that's what my mom was making a year, you know, maybe a little bit more. So that was just, it just, it it completely changed everything around that same time that broker had stiffed me on, on kind of a commission I was a little upset about. So I walked in, I said, listen, man, I'm just going to roll with this. I'm going to try to figure this out. I appreciate everything you did. And uh, you know, the rest was history and it kind of just evolved and, you know, steamrolled from there. Yeah, that's a, a great story. So, you know, a lot of people with varying experience levels in real estate, they may not know the concept of wholesaling. Can you mm-hmm. can you give us a high level breakdown of, of what you just did and how you went from having really putting a house under contract with no money mm-hmm. and then attracting a buyer and then collecting a money on the money on the back end. So can you just explain how it works for the listeners? Absolutely. And and I didn't, to be fair, I didn't know it was called wholesaling. You know, a lot of people who wholesale, they came up, you know, kind of watching all these YouTube videos and stuff like that. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I, I had somebody who wanted to buy it and I was going to lock up the deal, right? So wholesaling in a nutshell is you're locking up the property under contract and you're, you're able and willing to be the one to buy the property, right? You were contracted with the seller to be able to buy the property. And it's at that point when you have a contract, and this is with any contract, not just real estate, contracts can be assignable where someone takes over the responsibility of that contract. And basically what I did was find somebody who wanted to take over my responsibility via that contract to purchase this property. And for doing that, because it was such a good deal and because the person would make money, they gave me a fee for allowing them to take over my responsibility to buy it. Now, if I didn't find somebody, the next goal would be to find somebody, you know, who would give me money to buy it. And that's kind of, that was like going to be my next step, you know, if I couldn't find anybody to buy it from me. But in a nutshell, it's just, you know, having somebody take over your obligations to, to purchase that piece of real estate you put under contract. All right. That that makes sense. I mean, 
you know, a lot of people hear about wholesaling and how they can get in the game and yep. make money without using their money. So that's an example. Uh, you know, you use some of your money, but you made such a, a great finder's fee, mm-hmm. at, essentially, at the end of that. So it's, it's another way to get into real estate. That's what I love about real estate is so many avenues to make money. And you so kind of stumbled into that, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is crazy. But it's a lot of people that truly specialize in that lane. Yeah. So uh, kudos to you. So you so you quit your job at the brokerage at this point, yep. and you were like, hey, I'm ready to roll. Is that when you started Sunbelt Homes, or was it uh, kind of like you worked your way up to that? Yeah, so that was – I didn't start Sunbelt until t- about two years later. So at that point, I was just like, okay, I got, I, got some, I got a nice little chunk of change in my pocket. You know, what's next? How can I go from here? Another part of this story is I actually found out I was going to have my first daughter. Right around that time, like it, it all kind of just came full circle right at the end, you know. So I was like, okay, I'm, I, you know, I, I, this was in June of I think 20, going into 2019. My daughter was due in December. I was like, okay, from here, this 25,000, I either have to grow it into more or I have to be able to stretch it and maybe kind of create a career around it. But I was like, no, I, I want to continue to start this business. I want to grow this business. And it was at that point, I think at the time I was operating under an LLC, it was just Davis Real Estate, right? Was was the LLC I was just doing deals under. And this was just in my local town of Athens, Georgia. I didn't go into Atlanta. I didn't go into any other places. I just stuck with Athens. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to continue that same model. I'm just going to get on the phone with people. And my goal was to flip houses. That's where I wanted to get into, right? So from there... My next couple of deals were some smaller, you know, distressed mobile homes, a couple of vacant lots, you know, just kind of figuring out where my my niche was, where I could find, uh, you know, some really solid ground. And it's actually another funny story. So the next deal, uh, this was like three or four deals after the fact, I put a condo under contract in a really, really bad neighborhood in Athens. This was a notorious neighborhood. They were, you know, really bad gangs. There were a bunch of shootings, killings, drug dealing, really, really bad area. Um, I got this condo under contract for, I think, $25,000, and I didn't know anybody wanted to buy condos. So what I did was I researched – the condominium complex had about 200, 300 units. I looked up each unit to find who owned the majority of the condos in the complex, and it was this, this entity. They owned about 100 out of the 300 condos. So I said, that's my buyer. That's who I want to talk to. That's who's going to buy this deal. So I, I skip traced them, right? I reverse skip traced. I, I went on, uh, I think white pages was what I was using, got their number, reached out to them and, you know, asked them if they wanted to purchase this condo. A couple things ended up happening with, the, I ended up talking with the owner and he was like, Davis, you know, you sound like a really sharp guy. You sound like you know what you're doing. I'm flying down to Atlanta. I want to meet you and I want to see if you can help us buy more condos. And so he ended up flying down. I ended up meeting with him and we ended up purchasing more condos in that condominium complex. And that's kind of what steamrolled me into a couple of years later being able to create Sunbelt Homes due to that, that initial investor basically giving us an opportunity because that relationship ended up turning into our basically our hard money lender. And he started lending us money to buy some of these houses in Athens to, to do full renovations and to do full flips. And so it was like this six to, to 12 month span of me not knowing anything, me trying to get into the business and put that into the universe. And it just kind of steamrolled from there. So, man, you know, that's, that's a great story. And 
I was going to, you know, next ask you about the challenges that you had in starting Sunbolt Home. So it sounded like from a funding standpoint, mm-hmm. you did have access to money to help with your flips. Were there any other challenges that you had early on in starting the company? Absolutely. I mean, there were a number of different learning, uh, you know, experiences throughout. I mean, just, you know, the number of deals that we got under contract that, you know, weren't deals. I mean, they just, you know, we just, I didn't understand my numbers correctly. And, you know, that really helped me, I think, later on, be really, really stern, like be really, really strict with any property that I look at. Like, I don't want to give the sellers a a hope or a number that I couldn't stand by on the back end, right? So the challenges were definitely for me, you know, being able, I wasn't scared to talk to people. That was because I came from sales and I came from a couple of other businesses already that I, you know, I'd done door knocking. I wasn't afraid to get on the phone and talk with people. But what I didn't want to do was put somebody who was already in a distressed situation in an even more distressed situation because I wasn't able to do anything with their property because I got my numbers wrong, right? So that was the biggest learning lesson for me that, you know, you got to be right on your numbers. You really got to know what you're doing when it comes to running renovations, when it comes to, you know, analyzing potential rental income, when it comes to analyzing potential market value, right? It played a big role. And that's where, you know, I really, really had to buckle down and, you know, kind of just make sure I was disciplined and, that I was running my numbers correctly. Oh, you know, for, you know, someone that's trying to start their own company in real estate mm-hmm. like you, I mean, you, you mentioned about knowing your numbers, running your numbers, mm-hmm. renovation budgets. Like what advice would you give to someone who's trying to learn these things? I think because, that I mean, there's a million books out there, but like, is there like some, some advice that you would directly recommend versus just reading books? Or something? I think it, for me, it, I always approached it with a I want to learn more mentality. So whenever I got something under contract and whenever I put it in front of an investor, right, it, it was, what do you think about it? What is your response to this? And I kept it small in the beginning. I only wanted to work with, you know, five or 10 people, not a huge thousand, 2,000, 3,000 list, you know, of investors. It was just like, you know, hey, I know some local guys. I know they're paying top dollar for stuff as an investor, but what can I do better to bring you properties. And I think kind of just coming in with that open mindset of, I don't know anything, you know, but I'm hungry and I want to, I want to get out there and I want to do something, you know, what's the ropes? Can you show me the ropes? You know, if I'm providing value of being willing to get out on the phone and hustle and find deals and you being the first one that I present it to, they're going to be like, okay, let me invest at least 10, a 10 minute phone call on what I'm looking for, how it could benefit you and, you know, how I kind of analyze deals. And that's, you know, what really kind of, you know, I think helped me in that sense was just kind of being open-minded and saying, look, I don't, I really don't know anything, but my value is I'm going to be a bulldog and I'm going to get out there and hustle, you know? Because I mean, when you, when you're an investor and you have the money, you know, someone like yourself, that's going to really get in there and get their hands dirty and do the the grunt work that's mm-hmm. your your of value to an investor at that point because then they don't have to do that right so if you come Absolutely. to the table and like you mentioned like you mentioned being the first person that they call they're going to appreciate that so they'll pick up the phone and they'll work with you over and over so it just makes a lot of sense exactly so, yep so so again like with Sunbelt Homes can you just des- describe the 
the investment strategy that you guys have. Yep. Um, so, for the audience, so right? I was never put on to single family as an asset class until a couple of years later. So it was actually with that with that fund that that owned the condominium complex. So I started working with them. We built I built a great relationship with the CEO, and you know he I guess he saw some in me. You know he was like, look, you know I I'll fund your first flips. You know let's get started on this end. So it was you know six six seven months. We did two or three flips, right? They went really, really well. We also bought some condos in that complex. I think we ended up purchasing 14, 15 condos. Of course, you know, at the time, Davis Real Estate was making fees off of those. We were doing the flips. That kind of really started to steamroll and pick up and do really, really well. Around that same time, that family office had created a, an opportunity fund to start buying single family in Detroit, right? So we went up and we went to the Detroit tax auction. We drove all the neighborhoods in Detroit. We learned about everything in Detroit. We learned about you know wh- where the bad areas are, where the good areas are, what what the what the formulas are of buying attractive deals in Detroit, and what properties are coming up to auction. And I think the first run they had purchased around 500 single family homes in Detroit, and it was at that point I was like, wow, okay, you know. And I had known some guys through doing a couple of other wholesale deals and just in Athens who had you know 200, 300 homes. But I was like, okay, wow, like. These dudes are really serious about single family, and this is an actual business that you know you can take really, really large. And I've always, if anything, I did. I wanted to go as far as you can go. I didn't want to be, you know, just confined to one small little area. And so I was like, okay, you know that that really expanded my horizon. And so when I when we did that, and I didn't want to do multifamily like everybody else was doing. I didn't want to do commercial. I just wanted to find an asset class that was unique, and that's where single family as an asset class really just exploded. And I said, okay, if they're willing to buy 500 homes in Detroit, which Detroit is like the wild, wild west when it comes to single family, like it is, if you're not a pro, like don't play there, you know, you will get burned quick, right? I'm similar. I'm in, I'm in Cleveland. You said Cleveland. um, Yeah. Yeah. I invest in Cleveland and it's very true. Like, you know, people are attracted to Cleveland and your Detroit's and stuff because they see the price point, but you have to be careful. You have to know where to invest because yeah. the prices are so attractive, but you don't know what, what comes with that. So I love the f- fact that you guys went there and drove through the streets and assessed the neighborhoods. That that was super smart. Well, you know, that, and these exactly guys, what we do. these guys, I mean, they're managing $40 million. You know, you, you know yeah, you're not going to yeah. just, you know take it lightly. Like, so we, they, we, you know, we went up there and we did the due diligence and you know, the, their, their, their thesis was spot on. I mean, Detroit even today has, has definitely grown and, um, but it's still not where it needs to be as a city. And you can still, again, you know, there's still places where if someone tried to give us a house, we wouldn't take it, you know? And so, but you know, kind of going off of that. So that, that, that bulk buying and that really scaling up a large single family portfolio kind of opened my eyes and I said, okay, if someone wants to do that much volume in Detroit, imagine who, what groups are out there that want to do this in Atlanta, Charlotte, you know, Birmingham, Tampa, all of these other major MSAs in the Southeast. And that's what, uh, you know, basically allowed me to stumble upon some of the, the, the larger institutional SFR owners, your invitations, your Tricons, your Amherst and, and things like that. And so, I decided at that point, this was a couple years in, that I wanted to pivot from doing single family on a small scale just in my small areas 
And I wanted to start working with some of these larger groups and sourcing SFR throughout the Southeast for them. And so that's where it all kind of started with Sunbelt was, was building a platform to be able to do that for them. And, um, just kind of starts to snowball and it, it turns into one thing after another, you know, and you start to make relationships and you know, that's just kind of how it went. We'll be back after a quick break. If you enjoy the show and would love to be a supporter, head to the episode description and click the link so that you can become a supporter of the show. For as low as $3 a month with no commitment and cancel any time, you can contribute to the success of the show and making sure it's sustainable for years to come. I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Back to the episode. That's, that's great. That's great. So how do you f- see your, the vision for your company evolving over time? I think for us, our main thing is, um, you know, we, we've perfected deal flow, right? We're, we're trying to perfect deal flow. We have not perfected it. And it's really hard to, you know, but perfecting deal flow where you're constantly having discounted single family coming in as an opportunity to buy. And the future for Sunbelt IC is being one, a home buying brand in the Southeast that people recognize, you know, you're in Grace in Georgia, you know, the Mark Spain's, you know, like the open doors, the offer pads, some of these larger home buying brands. We want to be a part of that. We want to be a brand that people recognize specifically in this great region of the South, which I love growing up in the South. I don't care about anything up North. I don't care about anything out West or Midwest. You know, I love the South. It's just my home. It's where I want to continue to help the community and see the community grow. Right. And, you know, so I'd like to be that home buying brand in the Southeast and what I'd like to do on the back end and what we're, you know, in our, in our actually in mid stages of is bringing on a joint venture institutional client partner who will come in as a capital, a strategic capital provider to help us start buying some of these discounted single family properties that are coming through our deal flow machine, essentially. You know, when we flip, you know, we're continuing to flip houses, you know, I have a handful of rentals myself, but you know, I'm not looking to scale up my own personal portfolio. What we'd like to do is be an asset manager for a larger client and deploy it into single family in the cities that we operate in. Uh, I see a lot of single family homes now, like new construction yep. um, that are being marketed for rentals. Yep. So is Built that rent. is yep. that the space that, that you're actually... Um, you know, some of your institutional buyers, is that something that they're looking to do as well? Our institutional clients, absolutely. That's the big buzzword right now is, 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 is built to rent. And it's been like that for a little bit. The biggest thing is it's hard to, it's hard to get it to pencil. You know, as of now, um, John Burns, I don't know if you're familiar with who John Burns is, but does a great, he has a great data and research platform that basically analyzes everything SFR. He came out with a report not too long ago that built to rent, um, Rents are starting to flatline. Basically, they're not growing. That's pretty concerning because a lot of people are, you know, it's kind of like a, a fa- I see it kind of like a fad almost. Like I like the concept and the idea, and I think it could gain legs over time. But I think too many people are trying to jump into it all at once, and that's when you create overconsumption. I think so. I do think it's a really good asset class, and I know some small town guys who are building 20, 30, 40 houses just to keep in their personal portfolio. I think on that scale, yes, absolutely. I think on the larger scale, I think people just need to be careful. And builders with interest rates being so high, they're looking for a place to sell their homes. And I think they're going the easy route and going that way. 
got you. I like the so, existing, the existing homes. The existing homes, got yeah. you. So it kind of leads to my next question: like, what? How do you identify? You know, these single-family homes and portfolios for investment. You, you you talked a little bit about like how you market with signs and everything, but are there any other ways you find these homes? Yeah. So, I mean, most of the ways is, is through the, the traditional ways that I think everybody leverages. You know, we have a four-headed monster of, of uh, cold calling, SMS, direct mail, and PPC, right? And so that's how we get people coming to us wanting to sell their property. And then on the back end, the biggest thing in terms of relationships is conferences, like going to these the right conferences where all of the big boys hang out. There's a couple of conferences each year where pretty much all the players in the space go. Anybody who's buying single family and buying it on a larger scale, go to these conferences. And so we've been, you know, fully entrenched with meeting them, shaking hands with everybody, telling them, hey, look, we, we have good product and we know how to market the product. We know how to underwrite it and get stuff that's just not going to waste your time. And, you know, that's, I'd say on both ends, that's, that's basically how we do it. And it's, you know, it's not easy. Like, you know, it's a simple concept, but, you know, it's just not easy. And you have a lot of people, you know, really murking up the waters still. That makes it really, really difficult for somebody, you know, who's trying to do good business. They just can't because the the industry has gotten a bad reputation. You know what I mean? It's easier now uh, because rates are, are higher. Or because sometimes I run into investors who actually prefer when rates are higher because it kind of gets like the everybody jumps in when, when rates are super low. So I want to hear from you uh, about that. What's your opinion on the landscape of investing now and working deals when the interest rate mar- market is higher than what it has been in the f- past few years? I think that, you know, it's definitely doing a good job of what it's supposed to, which is removing the fat from the industry. You know, I think the the, only the strong survive, as they say, right? And so I think that it's doing a good job at removing the people who aren't actually maybe good at what they do, you know, or, or, or good at it. And, you know, the easy money allows for that a lot. And this is on small to large scale. I mean, you know, you look at some of these multifamily syndicators who syndicated multifamily deals over the last two years, like especially in Texas, like they're in huge trouble. I mean, multi-million dollar properties are about to go under on the multifamily side because they just got too sucked into free money. So I think that it's removing some of these these bad players. And so that's what I like about it. From a deal perspective, there's still a pretty big disconnect from seller's expectation versus what you can afford to pay, right? Yeah. Um, so that's been, the, that's been yeah. the biggest challenge on the high rates. Got you. So I'm going to throw out, you know, uh, AI because, you know, that's a, that's a buzz right now. And I do think it's a real thing. I think it's going to really be uh, great for, of course, um, yeah, for humans across the board. But in your opinion, I mean, how do you feel like technology will impact your investment process? Have you incorporated any AI um, in your operation? If so, talk a little bit about that. So from an AI perspective, big thing for us is workflows and what CRM we use. Um, that's been a big help. But on the AI side, one thing that we've really taken a liking to and that um, me and another guy who um, he actually works with Marketplace Homes, who is a very large property management company out of out of uh, Dearborn, Michigan. He um, He's brought me on as a co-founder and we have created a conversational AI bot. So it actually gets on the phone 
it talks to sellers, communicates with them verbally, not chat, actually talks with them. And we're looking to apply that to property management companies. So property management companies that take on leasing inquiries, maintenance requests, different things that you you may expect on the property management side where you don't actually want to have a full-time staff member there to answer the phone. This AI agent can do it and can do it intelligently, concise, and can set up things on the back end like creating tickets, um, calendar appointments, sending emails, sending text messages. So that's probably the biggest way that we've incorporated it and that I've actually been a part of and really, really excited to kind of see it roll out. And shameless plug here, it's called TalktimeAI.com. Feel free to go check it out. You know, it's a really cool uh, application that anybody can use in their business, not just real estate. I mean, it can make conversations around ice cream if you wanted it to, uh, football. You know, it it can talk about anything and it can do anything that you want it to. Um, So I think... It's really, really exciting. Yeah, I'm going to definitely have to check that out because, I mean, I'm a person, you know, I have a sales background early in my career too, but I'm not, I don't like being on the phone. So I'll say (laughs) that. So, you know, I I did it out of necessity. So if uh, your AI uh, bot actually can have a a really natural conversation, I think that's pretty cool. I like that. I'll definitely send the link to you, by the way, after this. It's, It's very, very cool. Sure. And yeah, we'll put it in the show notes too. So I want everybody to check it out. Absolutely. Please um, do. Well, how do you actually help? How does your business help streamline the investment process for your clients? So on both ends. So we'll start with the seller because I think that's the most important part. Due to our relationships on the back end with uh, companies that are more yield focused rather than um, spread, profit margin focused, it allows us to be able to offer a better solution to the sellers on the back end. No property should should be no property that needs a lot of work should be sold on the MLS to a retail buyer, in my opinion. Because if they're going and looking at a discounted home because of their 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 budget, they're just going to end up becoming house poor because now they've bought this home that needs a lot of repairs. And it's probably going to fall into even more distress. Like that is never the solution in my mind. I don't think agents do a good job at selling distressed properties. And it just, you know, it's a necessity to have these type of solutions off market, right? And so I think of the value that we bring on the front end is a, a better outcome for them rather than selling it at 50 cents on the dollar to certain fix and flippers and, you know, maybe other wholesalers, right? So we're able to offer a more competitive number. Um, a better solution. We've seen a lot, so we can help people in all aspects of the situation. I mean, tenants, major repairs. I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of more complex issues like with title, with probate, inherited properties that come up that we've just seen it. I mean, you know, we've done uh, over 200 homes in this fashion. I mean, we've seen a lot of different scenarios. We have a lot of solutions that will help them depending on the situation. So that's on the front end, I think. And you know, it's a streamlined fashion. I mean, it's a 30 day transaction. It's really not a lot of heavy lifting for the seller, so it makes it really easy on that side of things. Now, on the buying side, kind of like what I said in the beginning, it's a really big problem right now, and not a lot of people want to work with the wholesale industry specifically, or anybody who classifies himself as a wholesaler. I don't, I wholesale, but I don't classify myself as a wholesaler, you know, because we we do all types of stuff, but specifically wholesalers are notorious for putting properties either under contract on the MLS 
or putting con- properties under contract that just at a price that just should not be put under contract, right? And what that does is they're going to have to go back either one and cancel or renegotiate the contract at the very last minute, which makes the seller really, really upset, right? Makes them not want to do business on the off-market side. And two, it um, on the buying side, nobody takes a whole – they don't take wholesalers serious because they get all these deals and they're just so far from you know being able to pencil – and it's like, oh, whenever we get a deal from a wholesaler, we don't even look at it because we assume that they, they assume that it's not a bad deal. And so what we express and what we try to sell and when we go and meet with these people at the conferences and what we try to pitch and say is that like, look, we're not here to make fifty thousand dollars on every single wholesale deal we make. You know, we make a realistic fee where we still get paid. You guys still have meat on the bones and you guys are able to take a great property, turn it or take take a property that can be great, turn it into a great property and provide rental housing um, for the community on the back end. And ideally do it at a more affordable price than if you just bought it on the MLS and then tried to re-rent it. We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this episode. So I'm going to keep it brief and just take a quick break to let you know about my coaching services. So whether you're looking to dive deeper into real estate investing, get a firm grip on your personal finances, or take your career to new heights, I just want to let you know I'm here to guide you every step of the way. Our one-on-one coaching sessions will be tailored just for you and truly just helping you reach your fullest potential. So when you're ready to actually take your dreams and make them a reality, schedule a coaching session with me today. Head over to MosesTheMentor.com and click on the book me button on the top right. You'll get right to my scheduling page and we can get you on the books. And I look forward to talking to you, man. Now back to the episode. You know what I mean? That makes sense. That makes sense. So your, your approach is, Hey, you know, we'll take less per property because we're going to get a larger amount of, of purchases because you're dealing with these larger investors. Exactly. So for the people that are selling the home, they can take your offers a whole lot more seriously because it's more competitive. Exactly. Right? I'm not trying That's... to make 50,000 on a deal. I might accident I might accidentally make 50,000 because I just happen to get a good deal or the seller's just like, "Hey, give me 200 and and I'm happy." You know, sure. But most of the time we're averaging anywhere between 6, 8, 9% on the purchase price. And in my mind, that's very fair. You know, that's equity that's going into the person who bought the home. That's equity going into the person who's going to buy the home and renovate the home and have sweat equity in the end, right? Wholesalers do a lot, and and, and I do a lot on the off-market side, and we definitely should be paid, but we, you know, 80000 90000 150000 I mean, that's a you know, that's a huge fee. And and I just think it makes the world go around a little bit smoother when you're, when you're kind of sh- sharing that with both other parties who frankly are providing a little bit more value. And, and yeah, cause if you're getting that much from a, from a deal, somebody got, got, somebody you know got, got. Like somebody lost. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, I, I, I like, I've never heard that concept. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, nobody does that. Yeah, I mean, wholesalers are like, hey, I want to get it. And I got these people lined up. They want to get this check, that check. But your approach is 
more conducive to what the way I would look at it because it's more about a long-term relationship. It's more about sleeping good at night, knowing that you helped someone, you know, who was in need to sell a property, but also that person who had the funds to purchase the property, they're going into it with more equity. And they'll say, hey, hey, Davis, hey, Moses, yeah, I would love to work with you again and again and again and again. So, I, yeah, I, I really like that. So. Thank you. And, and I think I think I think it's just opened doors for me too at the end. It's allowed me to network with people with you know extremely high net worth with 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 real estate funds with a billion dollars under management, you know, who people who have companies that are listed on the NYSE, you know. I mean, like I've, you know, been able to meet these people and it's because they introduced me as, look, this guy has great deals and you know, he's not greedy. Like he just wants to help everybody make money around him you know, including the people who are selling the property. So I think it's just a really good approach. And I've always been like that. I probably will always continue to be like that, you know. And it's been, it's been working for you. It's been lucrative. So keep it up, keep it up. So what common misconceptions about real estate do you often hear from people? I'd say the biggest one is that uh, for one, uh, corporate buyers are hurting the real estate market. Um, I wholeheartedly do not believe that. Um, and, and everybody has their own opinion, but, um, we'll start with that. I, I would say for that side of it, um, like the big institutional buyers, I think it helps the, the, the market. If you've seen what I've seen, if you've seen the, the houses that I've inspected from landlords where the kids are sleeping on plywood floors because the carpet hasn't been replaced. There's cockroaches and there's food everywhere. And the, and, the, and the house is in horrible condition. The landlord hasn't fixed it. He hasn't repaired the roof. He hasn't replaced the AC units. And you got kids in there. Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of stuff. And that's not going to fly with a corporate landlord. They have a higher standard of operation. They're going to rent it professionally. Like, that's just not going to happen. On top of that, they've been buying for years since 2012 these companies and it was only up until covid and interest rates going down when the retail buyers flooded the market and started competing then they didn't want to point at themselves that they were competing with each other who are they going to point to corporations right because it's the easiest thing everybody can get around and they can blame the corporations but really it's just the retail buyers and i experienced that as a broker as an agent as a buyer as an investor it was just retail buyers all flooding in because they were getting two two and a half three percent interest rates you know that's really what drove up the prices um and i saw that firsthand i saw corporate buyers would back out of a deal because there was too much competition with the retail just driving up the prices. Like they're number based. Like they they want to buy it at a certain percentage. If it doesn't hit their metric, they're gonna not buy it. The retail buyers don't care. They're just like, I want it, I want it, I want it. And they that's what drove up the prices. What what I saw. Um I would say another thing is that whoever you want to work with and like, you know, like whoever you want to find, like get information from online, right? You just have to make sure that they are authentic and that they're in real estate and going to be in real estate in the future. That they're not just somebody who learned about real estate during, let's say COVID, right? When everybody was online and everybody was learning, hearing about real estate. And, you know, 
they kind of just jumped onto the fad train. Like that's just, you know, I feel like that's a misconception where a lot of people online are talking about real estate in a way that the concept is very easy. It's very easy to grasp. Like it's not a complex thing, but the work that you have to put in on the back end, it, it just has to be understood that there's a lot of work that goes in on the back end, a lot of learning, a lot of trial and error. And I think the misconception is that anybody can get up there and preach and talk about doing real estate, but don't take it with a grain of salt. Only believe half of what you see, you know? And so I'd say that's a pretty big misconception I see right now in the industry. And I think you're doing a great job. I think you're very personal in what you do. And, uh, you know, I looked at your stuff and I think that you're very, you don't have anything. It doesn't seem like you're, you have anything that you're trying to gain out of this. You're just genuinely wanting to share the knowledge and share the wealth, the knowledge wealth with others. I can just see a lot of other people where it, there's truly something they're trying to gain from this. And I don't think it's good for the industry. I really don't. Very true. Very true. I appreciate that. That's my goal. My goal is to, you know, be authentic, be real with people, show them the pros and the cons of investing in real estate. And also part of the reason why I started the podcast, because I don't claim to know everything. So the mm-hmm. podcast is a great opportunity to spotlight people like yourself that are, you know, investing in one lane where I don't have the expertise. So that's the reason why you have two ears and one mouth. You know what I'm saying? So I'm all ears for my guests, just like I hope my audience is. So I really appreciate that. So when I'm talking, I'm talking from experience. I'm talking from, you know, being in the trenches. And a lot of times, you know, even if you're hearing and getting the education about a topic until you actually start doing it. Mm-hmm. That's that's your best teacher, like actually, absolutely like applying what you learn. Absolutely, just get out surprised. there. Just get yeah, out there, you know. Yeah, very true. And I'll add one more thing too, like you know, especially for any of your listeners, I imagine a lot of them are new and, and just new into business, or you know, yeah. maybe in business but wanting to grow. And I would say, like you know, anybody who's on social media, especially who's advertising their stats, their numbers, like. I'm doing this. Like you should be here. Like, please like don't let that get to you or get you down or like you, you have no clue how much debt that man has probably on the back end. You have no clue what that person is going through, you know? And I mean, again, it's, it's believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see, like always. And especially with social media, you know, so don't let it, don't let it kill your confidence is what I'm saying. The biggest thing is when people speak about numbers and they talk about gross, mm-hmm. you know, that, that drives me nuts. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like it, you're, you want to know your net cash flow. So yep. yeah, you're collecting all this rent, mm-hmm. but how much do you actually get once you, all your expenses are paid? You know, let's talk about that because once you start digging into that, again, it's not about the number of units. It's really about the quality of your units. Absolutely. Like you, there's, there's so many properties that, I have the opportunity to buy that I don't because I just know the numbers don't make sense for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I live in Atlanta. Like I said, I love the South too. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, but I live, this is my home. I live in the South. Mm-hmm. But from a rental property standpoint, for the size of my company, JRAD Properties, like I'm not this institutional buyer. I don't have hundreds of homes. Right. It's best that I go into a market that's a cash flow market because my objective is to replace my W-2 income, my wife and I. So 
we do it in a different way and our goals can be met mm-hmm. in Cleveland, Ohio. So you, you have go. to be very agile. You have to know your strategy, mm-hmm. but your numbers have to make sense. Absolutely. I'm a finance guy. So it's very, very important. And, and it is, and so, it is. And I'm telling you, you just, you never know what these people have going on, you know, when, you, when you're looking at so Man, people lie. Yeah. I mean, people would just bold-faced lie. lie to you on social media. You know, what do they have to lose? Yeah. I mean, so... They can get so, away with it, unfortunately. They can. <laughs> they can. So I just say that, you know, I, I just think that's yeah. a misconception right there. It's just, just because they're on the internet does not make them Mr. Know-it-all, you know? True. So... Cool. cool. So let's talk a little bit about the future of real estate investing. So what innovations do you foresee in the real estate investment sector right now? I think there's going to be newer ways for people to invest into real estate similar as they do into stocks. I think that's going to be a pretty big one. Um, I went to a conference in December. This guy had a really interesting platform. It was very expensive, but what he would offer is being able to basically securitize your asset for you. He'll form the LLC the way it needs to be formed. He'll um, you know, get with a, CP, uh, a securities attorney. He will create shares for that LLC that owns that piece of real estate and basically build a platform for you to invest into shares of that LLC that owns that holding. I thought that was pretty cool. And, and I do see it kind of going in that direction. I think just for any and everybody to get access to that that appreciation and cash flow. You know, I think overall, I don't know what these next couple of years hold, uh, hold for us, but I think if you're always looking to buy at a discount, I don't think these next two years, you know, is, should really scare you from buying. I think it, you know, if you just, if you're still looking for a deal and you, you run your numbers right, you know, it'll cash flow after debt. You know, I think, I think you're in a, you, you just got to continue doing what you're doing because if, if we see real estate values fall 30, 40, 50%, everybody's going to be toast, you know? So it's like, what do you got to lose? I mean, the, the big boys are going to be losing on everything. So, you know, what do you have to lose? Yeah. You, you had mentioned invitation homes earlier and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I heard that they were like the number one owner of single family homes. Yeah. They own about 83,000 right now. Wow. So at some point, I ended up selling those shares, but I, I did invest in purchasing some shares of invitation homes. So yeah. for people who don't want to, you know, actually buy physical real estate, so you can identify companies like Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent, yep. you know, you can purchase a, a REIT, which is a real yep. estate investment trust, where you can say, oh, yeah, you know, I own single family homes. They do all the work and you buy shares of that company. Mm-hmm. And you would actually receive the dividend income, which would be kind of like your cash flow if you were really like actively investing and in owning a physical property of a single family home. So, again, it's a lot of ways that you can get exposure to real estate. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like all in like I am or, or you know, having to deal with tenants. You can really mm-hmm. be very passive with investing in REITs. So I just wanted to point that out. I think that's a great. I think that's that's great, and and it's not just single family. I mean, there. Are, I think they're probably in like three hundred, four hundred REITs, and they're all in, 
you know, different different areas of, of, of real estate. You know, some own just logistics centers, some own just data centers, some own medical offices or office complex. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's one on, uh, you know, on the stock market, VG Properties, they own the strip of Las Vegas. I think it's a phenomenal company. I think they're going to see continued growth for the next 20 years. And all of their real estate is everything that's on the strip of Las Vegas, you know? And so you can get exposure to locations and, and different property types just through doing that. And I think it's what you got to decide. Everybody wants to be a real estate investor, but do they want to be an active investor? Because that's where the hard work comes in. And you know, as well as I do, especially in Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, when you're active investing in Cleveland or Detroit or these cheaper, these cheaper markets, they're cheap for a reason. You know, um, it's a challenge. Older homes. Older homes. Yeah. Older workforce homes. Yeah. So um, it's when you mentioned Detroit, like I'm in Cleveland, I'm in the suburbs of Cleveland. So, Mm. you know, that's why you have to really be careful about the certain areas that you go into. But even if you're in the the suburbs of Cleveland, you're going to deal with older homes. I'm talking about homes that could be 100 years old. Yeah. 1900s. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. Hands down. You're going to have some some issues with the home that you're going to have to tend uh, tend to at some point so going into them the price points are lower but expect to put some money into them either initially or have higher reserve percentages set to the side so that when those things happen you're ready mm-hmm. you know that's the difference Absolutely right, but the returns on the back end are nice. I think that fund uh the the, nice. the Detroit fund was returning sixteen percent, which is you don't find that um <laughs> you don't find that just anywhere. Very true. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who was looking to actually start investing in real estate today? I would say, you know, again, decide if you're, if you want to be active or passive, like that's the most important thing. If you want to be active, you're going to have to do a lot of it yourself. You're going to have to find the deals yourself. You're going to have to rent it, you know, find the contractors to renovate it yourself. You're going to have to, you know, understand your financing and your debt and, you know, where you're in, you know, if you want to leverage it, where's that leverage going to come from? You got to kind of figure all of that out if you're wanting to buy. If you're wanting to just get started and get started in real estate from a, you know, a a younger person's perspective, maybe they don't have any money and they're wanting to get out and, you know, just kind of figure things out. I would say start, just work for somebody for a year. Like it, it, that, that's the worst thing you can do is you work for a year and you got paid and you didn't learn anything. Right. But I guarantee you, you will learn something and in the background, work on figuring out how to find deals for whatever type of property you want. If it's commercial, if it's single family, if it's mobile homes, mobile home parks, it, it could land, it could be anything, but find that one thing and stick to that. Like, don't be Mr. Oh, I do a little bit of commercial. I do a little bit of multifamily. I do a little bit of land. Like, don't be that guy, you know, really laser focus on one type of property and just say, I want to go after finding good deals and figure out how to find good deals. Good deals always find money. Like if you have a good deal, you will find somebody who either want to buy it from you and pay you a nice little fee or invest with you and maybe say, hey, look, if you can come up with 10%, I'll pay the rest and we'll split it, you know, 60-40, right? That was kind of the agreement that I had with that with that group with the fix and flip. I found the deals, I marketed, they invested, I got 40%, they got 60%. And it was my first deal. Like some people may hear that and be like, oh, you're not getting the most out of the deal. Like 
they're risking 200, 250,000. I'm just, you know, a, a 21 year old who found a, who found a distressed piece of real estate. Like, yeah, I'm going to take the 40%, you know? Absolutely. And that's, again, that mindset has steamed rolled me into bigger and better deals in the future. Like, don't be greedy in the beginning. Uh, just be open-minded. And that, I think that's how, that's how I would do it again. If I, if it were me. Perfect. Yeah. I appreciate you breaking it down, giving us a lot of great information. So let's close it out with you, uh, you know, giving the audience your final thoughts and also make sure to drop different ways that we can contact you. So like your website, social media, and I'll also, again, put that in the show notes. So the floor is yours. Absolutely. I, I you know, again, I, I think if you're listening to these podcasts um, and you're, you know, you're, you're taking all of this stuff in, you're already on the right track. You know, it's about just getting out and taking action, just having conversations with people, whether it's professionals who have been where you're looking to go, or if it's people who have real estate that you're looking to acquire, get out there and have conversations. It's not scary. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you fumble over your words, just, just, you know, start talking to people and the conversations will get better and better. And yeah, just don't be afraid, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions if you don't know something um, because people in the real estate industry are really excited to help people learn. And so, and it's just like a give back thing. So I think, you know, those are the two most important things. And, you know, if anybody has any questions for me and wants to get, you know, reach out to me, you know, my emails are always available. It's Davis, D-A-V-I-S at sunbelthomes.us shoot me an email anytime. I promise if it's just one question, I will respond to the question, you know, as soon as I see it, you know, if you have a couple of questions, I'm an open book, man. Like I'm, I'm happy to help people learn and, and get a taste of this awesome industry. Great. Great. And I want to say thank you again uh, for accepting my invitation to be on the show. Uh, I love real estate investing. So this was great to uh, speak to a fellow investor and learn a different lane uh, of the industry. So uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the show. And again, thank you, Davis. And we're out. Awesome. Thank you. Davis, thank you again for joining the show uh, and sharing your valuable insights, um, telling us about your company. Uh, you have a great system going on. So good luck to you. And also just our discussion about real estate investing as a whole. I feel like the audience is just really going to soak it up. At least I hope they do. Uh, so good luck to you and everything that you got going on. Uh, I feel like the sky's the limit for you and your business. Um, to my listeners, before you go, please make sure to check out MosesTheMentor.com and also go to my YouTube page. Moses the Mentor for more inspiring conversations like this and also for the latest rental property investing videos from myself. So check me out. Until next time, keep your financial goals front of mind and make sure to keep new opportunities within reach. So have a great day. Peace. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Money Focus Podcast. And if you're a visual person, I have great news for you. You can head over to YouTube 
and head to my channel, Moses the Mentor, and you'll find every single episode there to watch. You can also look in the description of this video for a link, but again, you can watch this full episode on YouTube, Moses the Mentor, check me out.